if you are going to visit us with this kind of horror, this kind of tribulation, this kind of destruction, what must I do? Sodom is more justified than you. You did worse than Sodom and her sisters. You know who the sisters are? If you go back to Genesis 15, you'll see it. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other surrounding villages. Jerusalem became worse than that. We know so much about ourselves. We don't need God. We can tell what God, ah, oh, you know, God's, uh, uh, um, it's a construct. We make it up. That's what these people that are so full of themselves would say. Isn't that the case today? In today's society? Exactly the case in today's society. Wherever humans rely on any intellectual human achievement, including the ability to cope with problems and master them, and wherever confidence is placed on human strength and not in God, then it's pride. Wherever humans rely on any intellectual human achievement, including the ability to cope with problems and master them, and wherever confidence is placed on human strength and not in God, then it's pride. What if God is chastening you or God is doing something in your life and you cannot understand? Would you walk away? That's the question that Habakkuk brings to us in verse 12 to 17 of chapter 1. Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 11 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. A warm welcome to the Agape Fellowship where we undertake a verse-by-verse -verse study of the scriptures. We are thrilled that you could join us. Last time, we covered the first three verses of Habakkuk chapter 2. Here, we learn that God's word, once spoken, is an absolute word and that his timetable is not like man's. Furthermore, Habakkuk modeled for us the proper way in which to wait for what God says. Today, we hear what God responds to Habakkuk's deep anguish at God's revelation of the coming judgment on the kingdom of Judah. We pray God's blessing upon you as you study His word with us. Behold the proud, verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Finally, God revealed the message itself to Habakkuk's end question. In the days of turmoil and destruction, the righteous people shall live by faith in God. That was the question that Jeremiah, uh, Habakkuk was asking. 
what are we to do? What's, you know, if this were to happen, the, the unspoken question that was on Habakkuk's mind, God, if you're going to do this to us, don't you know that this is a horrible people? He doesn't actually speak. If you notice, if you go through chapter one and even chapter two, you, wouldn't, you, you would not hear Habakkuk say, what should I do? He's inquiring of the Lord that he's waiting for God to give an answer. What should I do? If you're going to visit us with this kind of horror, this kind of tribulation, this kind of destruction, what must I do? And God's answer was, the just shall live by faith. But notice the contrast. He puts two side by side. This is typical in the Bible. First, God talks about the proud person. And in the second half, he contrasts the one with the one with the faith. The one whose life is puffed up with pride and arrogance will die. The righteous, in contrast, the just shall continue to live by faith in God. Behold the proud. The southern nation had sunk in to such a prideful state that it no longer acknowledged God as their God. You could ask what happened to the priests and the temple worship and the righteous judgments and all. And if you notice in the period of Jeremiah and it also is happening during the time of Habakkuk, the temple worship is going on. They're slaughtering lambs, they're doing all those wonderful things. All of that stuff is going on. God is saying, look, all of that is a stench to my nostrils. The temple and its feasts continue, their routine programs, their proselytization is happening. But what's the difference here? It's ineffectual because it's not fixed with, uh, it's not mixed with faith. It is simply a show. It's a great show and the show had to go on. Now you could read all about that in Jeremiah. All of that in Jeremiah, but I want us to pause for a moment because this is a serious matter. I want us to read Ezekiel 16. Now this portion is about the background of what's going on in Israel at that time and how God is through Ezekiel prophesying many things about that nation. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus saith the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were aboard on the day that you were born, and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown. Yet you were naked and bare. 
when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age of for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put, and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was a, a fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced in royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. Thank you, Maria. Let's stop at this point. You understand what he's talking about, uh, what the, the entire allegory is. He's talking about the birth of Jerusalem, the nation as a nation of Israel, and is also talking about the land and Jerusalem as a city. And so when he's talking about all these things in such allegoric statements, and also as a baby being born, his marriage and his covenants with this young woman, a beautiful woman, and all of those things are being covered up to here. It's very clear, isn't it? But that's the way it's very poetic, uh, the way that uh, literature is written. In this, Ezekiel is very, very poetic in the way that he narrates this and using allegories uh, for the nation of Israel, for Jerusalem, the city, and so on. Okay, now comes the next section, starting as verse 15. Who would like to go from here? I'll take it. Okay. Go ahead, Are you Jack. trusted in your, in your beauty? Play the harlot because of, of your fame and poured out your harlotry on any on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adored multicolor high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things could not happen nor be nor be. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver which I've given you and made for yourself male images and put the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them, and you set my oil and, and my incense upon them. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour and oil and honey, which I fed you, you set it before them as sweet incense. So it was, so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me, and, and these you, you sacrificed them to be devoured where your act of, of high of harlotry a small matter that you have have slain my children and and offered them up by causing them to pass through the fire and in all your abominations and acts of, of, of harlotry you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and barren struggling in your blood then it was so, and after all, all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says Lord God, that you also built for yourself a shrine, made high places for yourself, and 
in, in every street. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your your duty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of holotry, and you also committed holotry with the Egyptians, with your very fleshy neighbors, and and increased your acts of, of holotry to provoke to provoke me to anger. Okay, thank you, Jack. Uh, Anyone else would like to pick it up there? Verse twenty-seven. Anyone would like to read from verse 27? Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you, diminished your allotment, and gave you up to the will of those who hate you. The daughters of Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traders, Chaldea. Even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing, all you, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of brazen harlot. You erected shrines at the head of every road and built your high place at every street. Yet you were not like a harlot because you scorned Haman. You are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men make payments to all harlots, but you made your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around for your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot in that you gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, because of the blood of your children which you gave to them, surely therefore I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure. All those you loved and all those you hated I will gather them all around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as a woman who breaks wedlock and shed blood as judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will give you into their hands and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry and leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring upon an assembly against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you with their swords. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgment on you in the sight of many women. And I will make you cease playing the harlot and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you and my jealousy should, shall depart from you and I will be quiet and be angry no more because you did not remember days of your youth, but agitated me. With all these things, surely I will also recompense your deed on your head, says the Lord. And you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abomination. Now, the reason I read all of this is for the next portion, so that you understand how depraved this nation had become. I hope you are following along as we read this. It's very seldom people read these portions, but this is something that we have to learn because there's lessons in it for us. 
Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing husbands and husband and children. You are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children, and your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Your elder sister was Samaria, who dwells with her daughters in the north of you. And your younger sister who dwells in the south of you, Sodom, with her daughters. You did not walk in their way, nor act according to their abomination, but as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. They were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Samaria did not commit half your sins, but you've multiplied your abominations more than they, and they've justified your sisters by all their abominations which you have done. You who judged your sister bear your own shame also because the sins which you committed were more abominable than theirs and they were more right and they are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also. Bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. When I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and her daughters and the captives of Samaria and her daughters, then I will bring back the captives of your captivity that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced when your sisters and Sodom and daughters return to their former state. And that, that much will do. Why did I read this portion? We sometimes wonder how bad, seriously, how bad did Jerusalem get in order for God to bring such a judgment? Today you read Ezekiel 16. What did it speak to you? It spoke of a, a small town, a Jebusite town, a little village on top of a hill that God adopted as his own and a nation that was formed around it and obviously filled with people, now Israelites. And how it had begun in its fallen state and its, uh, in its infancy and it was a rejected town, a village, and how God took it and made it the shining bride, his own bride. And then you see what happened. It turns to harlotry. And you notice a few things that took place over there. One was baby killing. You notice that. And obviously all kinds of harlotry. I don't even want to explain the harlotry that was happening over there. But you can read it. And if you want to read it yourself, you may. But you saw how that happened. And then notice what else happened. He said, look, Sodom is more justified than you are. You did worse than Sodom and her sisters. You know who the sisters are? If you go back to Genesis 15, you'll see it. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other far surrounding villages. Jerusalem became worse than that. In fact, they were justified 
in contrast to Jerusalem. That's how sunken they were. There's also another point I wanted you to read there. What was the main cause? What, what was happening behind it? The number one cause was pride. Did you notice that? It was pride. It was the centerpiece of their sin was pride. It was pride. They wouldn't take care of the people. They were wealthy beyond their means and they couldn't care less of the norm. I mean, broken people, none of that. It didn't matter to them. And another thing, idleness of time. Now, as I'm saying these things, please draw parallels to our society today and where we are as America, as a world, where we are today and what's going on amongst us. This is a direct parallel. Direct. I mean, there's no other parallel like this parallel that you can think of wealth. Wealth has become it. Trading, harlotry, destruction of babies, and worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, and all these things happening, and idleness, and at the same time, no compassion on those that are broken. No heart for those that are broken. What was the cause of all of this? Pride. Pride. Remember, pride is the, is the worst of the worst of the worst sin. That was the sin that tripped up Lucifer. That is the sin. It's a subtle sin that creeps into the lives. And here it is that God is contrasting. You wonder why is God contrasting pride versus those that live by faith? This is precisely why. Because in pride, there's no God anymore. You're so full of yourself. You cannot see God anymore. We become so we know so much about ourselves. We don't need God. We can tell what God, ah, oh, you know, God's, uh, um, it's a construct. We make it up. That's what these people that are so full of themselves would say. Isn't that the case today? In today's society? Exactly the case that's today's society. And so the pride is everywhere. It takes all manner of shape. Let's look at this. A rich man, He's proud of what he has. A poor man, he's proud of the honor is having less. A talented man, he's proud of what he can do. The less talented man, that he can do hard work. The religious man, he's proud of his religion. An unbeliever, proud of his unbelief. Establishment man, proud of his place in the society. A counterculture man, proud of his outcast status. A learned man, proud of his intellect and learning. And a simple man, proud of his simplicity. Wherever humans rely on any intellectual human achievement, including the ability to cope with problems and master them, and wherever confidence is placed on human strength and not in God, then it's pride. Oh, I can do it. I don't need God for this. I can handle it myself. That is pride. And now we contrast it against the one that lives by faith. I wanted to take that much to create the contrast. The, but the just shall live by faith. The righteous are those courageous enough 
to accept God's promises in a world dominated by Satan and his emissaries. To look for salvation in a world dominated by persecution requires faithfulness. The righteous also are those who are led by God. The righteous are not perfect, but they live according to their relationship with God. They acknowledge their relationship with God and they live by it. To be righteous means to meet the demands of that relationship and expectation. You know, when you have a relationship with somebody, there's an expectation between the two, a mutual expectation. God has expectations, you have expectations. To live to those expectations is to live righteously. From Habakkuk 1 and 2, here are some lessons, some attributes that mark a life lived in faith. Steadfast lives when violence abound and justice is perverted. You see that in chapter 1, 2 to 4. Second, perseverance through God's chastening. This is a tough one. God chastens us and yet we are to stay and receive the chastening and keep going. God's perseverance through God's chastening. Chapter one, five to 11. And even when one cannot understand God's ways, some, and this is a very difficult thing for a believer or for, I mean, for a mature believer as well as someone who's just come to the faith. Well, I can persevere through God's chastening as long as I can understand. What if you cannot understand? What if God is chastening you or God is doing something in your life and you cannot understand? Would you walk away? That's this question that Habakkuk brings to us in verse 12 to 17 of chapter one. Perseverance in God, even when all physical signs of God's goodness and all wise providence is gone. It's easy to persevere when you can see God's goodness. Let's say you were Habakkuk. You were the leader in the town. And here it is, God telling you that you're gonna be judged and your nation is gonna be judged. I'm preparing a nation, what would you do? You would cry and fast and God save me, save me, save me. And then God doesn't save you. God doesn't act on yours, he says no. Which is an answer by the way, God answered you. The answer is no. I've dissolved, I've, I've, my, my long suffering has come to an end now I'm going to judge the nation. What would you do? Think of those things in our own lives. What would we do? Would you walk away? Then it's not living by faith. Confidence in God's, that's, num that's number three. Number four, confidence in God's righteous judgments. And that's another tough one. Now, all these are very difficult tough things, but these are the things that count to living by faith. Because remember, living by faith means there's nothing that you can see. Faith is the, can you finish that statement? Faith is the what? Faith is the what? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Yes. And? Conviction. Of things not seen. Correct. You cannot see it. 
it's the faith is the substance. In all of these cases that I'm telling you, they're very difficult. Why? Because there's no material evidence to any of these things. In other words, what are you gonna do? If judgment's breathing down and God says, look, I know what I'm doing. I'm righteous. I know what the right thing is. Trust me. Faith is the key. Confidence in God's righteous judgment. And finally, faith is the key to understanding God's sovereign purpose that leads the worshiper in worshiping God in the storm. We can worship God when there is no storm, but can we worship God in the midst of the storm? That's what Habakkuk was confirmed. We'll come to that in chapter three. But can we come to that? Can we worship God in the midst of the storm? That is the just shall live by faith. We are called to live by faith and nothing else. Some Christians live by devotion, others by works, others by feelings, circumstances. Each of these is meaningless and perhaps even dangerous without faith. So the just shall live by faith. We hope today's meditation blessed you. Today we considered Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. We see how God finally reveals his deep truth that despite the overwhelming circumstances that surrounds his people, the just shall live by faith. We are taught that in the days of great turmoil and even destruction, the righteous people shall live by faith in God. We also see in contrast to the just, the proud and their hearts depravity. This teaches us that the rightful attitude of the just and the righteous must be one of humility. The just shall live by faith. We are called to live by faith and nothing else. Join us next time as we continue on in our study of the book of Habakkuk. God bless you.